welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. And joining me this evening, uh, I've got a, a man who has been uh, politically involved um, for uh, uh, a lot of different causes in Milwaukee, and I'm going to actually list them off because there are so many. Um, he is a DNC member representing Wisconsin, former U.S. congressional candidate in Wisconsin's 5th Congressional District, um, uh, gun, gun violence survivor and every town survivor fellow for Wisconsin, Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin board member, and a DNC Black Caucus treasurer. Um, he is none other than uh, Karee Pennebaker, and uh, I want to welcome to the show. Hey, brother. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. How's, how are you? I am living the dream. I'm, I'm glad that uh, the convention's gotten off to a, to a good start here. I wish it would have been in person, uh, but I am uh, reminded that uh, the, the fact that we don't have the convention live here is, is because our party actually cares about public safety and we listen to the medical community and the scientific community that said we shouldn't hold this convention in person. So I'm glad our party is the smart one. Good. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, what did you do today? Well, I mean, I actually had to, uh, to do my, my, my paying day job, uh, but uh, I listened to a couple interviews uh, and, and streams earlier in the day. Uh, my uh, pre-recorded video uh, talking about um, the intersectionality of race and the coronavirus uh, was played today at the convention. Um, I just did an interview uh, about 45 minutes ago with WISN about the convention relative to, to gun violence prevention and that how our party is the champion for gun violence prevention. Uh, and we're going to talk about that throughout the week. Um, and now I'm excited to see the, the slate of speakers that we have, the amazing slate we have tonight. Michelle Obama's talking tonight. So Bernie Sanders is talking tonight. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to what these folks have to say. Very exciting. Awesome. Well, um, <clears throat> yeah, that, that sounds like a uh, very um, wholesome day. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I, sounds like a day of interviews for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun, though. I mean... You know, any chance I get to to talk about the things I believe in, I'm going to take it, no matter how exhausted it might be. These, these things are important. Too many people feel like they either haven't been heard or that they feel like their story may not count. So I'm going to take every chance that I can and, and, and speak for those who don't have the platform that I do. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I'm happy you're here to do it. So <laughs> that being said, uh, what we talk about on Mr. Nice Guy, we talk love and fear, passion and creativity. And I've been following your work for uh, about a year or so. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, you know, this year I, so I originally started the show, just a little background. I originally started the show interviewing more um, artists and creatives um, for like the first year or so. Uh, but gradually I started introducing uh, political conversations, community organizing, social justice, all of that important stuff as love and fear. Um, plays into uh, political and social justice involvement uh, in the same way it works in artistic and creative expression. So, um, Karee, I, I guess I'd like to hear a little bit about your beginning. So, we'll start with a simple question. I've been asking a lot of people on the show lately. Uh, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? Uh, I wanted to be a film critic. Um, I, I love movies. 
Um, and then when I got to be the age when you could actually start working towards that uh, objective, I started to realize that I didn't want to actually criticize someone's artwork. I actually just wanted to watch movies and get paid to do it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't yeah. find a, a, a job that actually paid me to watch movies. So um, I was fortunate to get a scholarship to college. I, I was a track athlete uh, back in the 90s and got a scholarship. Uh, and then got a marketing degree for free, thank God. Uh, I was very fortunate to do that. And then I took the, the skill sets that I learned in, in, in at UWM, which I call the Harvard of Wisconsin. Um, and I, I was able to get uh, involved in a local roofing company and became part owner. And then I turned it into something and then left and started my own thing. And then things kind of blossomed from there. But thankfully, you know, it, I had that ambition early on uh, that, that I wanted to do something. Uh, I didn't want to just end up something. I wanted to become something. Um, and even still, with as much work as I do, I always find time to watch movies, though. Good. Uh, we'll have to talk movies at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a big movie guy as well. Oh, yeah. I've been watching a lot of uh, Studio Ghibli movies, okay. um, the Japanese anime yeah, yeah. movies. Yeah. But I like all kinds. Big David Lynch fan. Oh, um, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, um, I'm kind of, I like your philosophy about, um, you know, like what you your film like being a, becoming a film critic you'd be critiquing somebody else's work and you had felt ultimately apprehensive about doing that and that's exactly how i felt about what i do i'm a music journalist mm -hmm. um i write for a local music blog breaking and entering and i never cover things i don't like you know i never uh i never you know publish anything and say anything negative about it i only point out what i feel when i listen to it what i like about it and why people should care about it right right you know i think that's the way criticism should be yeah yeah you know and I, I actually did talk to a woman who is a professional um movie critic and you know we, we had this similar conversation i told her like i wish i could have done it i just couldn't see tearing apart someone's work right i mean I may not like it, but that person put some serious effort, some blood, sweat, and tears, and money into yeah. that piece of art. And then to have someone like me who can't do what that person did, tell them, oh, this was crummy. I mean, not every movie is going to be entertaining to me, right? Some will, some won't. Some people don't like Titanic the way that I do, right? I mean, I think it's the best movie ever made. Some people disagree. I think they're crazy, you know? Um, but I wouldn't, <clears throat> I couldn't imagine the feeling of, of you put all this effort into something and then someone who doesn't have that talent that you've got uh, tears it apart. It just seems so mean-spirited to me. And I think we've gotten to a place in our culture now where everybody's like an armchair uh, critic and they don't have the talent that they're criticizing, but yet we'll tear people down more than we'll lift people up. And I don't want to be a part of that. I agree. Yeah. And the fact that people literally capitalize off of doing that like having you know very critical opinions that do shred somebody like rip someone's work to shreds that like you said um you know they pour their all their emotions their heart their feelings all that this is their outlet to do that i couldn't imagine so i'm with you there. yeah 
So um, I'd like to hear a little bit about, so obviously you do many different things um, uh, politically. So I guess, where do you want to, like, what came first? How did you first really get involved in uh, uh, local politics? So I got involved um, kind of like in a roundabout way. Uh, I was involved with an organization called Every Town for Gun Safety, uh, where we focus on, or at least on my end, uh, gun violence survivors like myself and helping to empower them uh, and helping them to get to a point where I am, where you can own your story and use your pain uh, for positive change. One of the mantras that we have with Every Town is change the law or change the people that make the law. Uh, and in 2015, um, you know, you're, we were about a year and a half out from uh, the election. <clears throat> and I was already the vice chair of the, the fifth CD executive committee. Uh, our chairwoman said, hey, what do you think about running for Congress in the fifth CD? And I'm like, ah, come on. Like, you know, who wants to run in a, you know, a severely gerrymandered seat where the outcome was already determined? I don't want to be a name on a ballot. I mean, I would like to win. And she thought, like, let's, let's actually go try. Let's go make this effort. And so I learned, like, the, like, the direct impact of politics by being in it. I learned the hard way uh, of being a candidate in a, in a district where it's 95% white. No one's got a name like mine. Uh, few people look like me. Um, and we didn't have the benefit of a blue wave. We didn't have all of these, these different organizations like Indivisible and, and you name it. There's an organization for everything now. Uh, so I didn't have that kind of, of momentum. And then, you know, you're having to fight uh, the, 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 uh, the battle between Hillary voters and Bernie voters and all that stuff. And it just made it difficult. But I learned an immense amount. Um, and it was because of that campaign uh, that the, the, the candidate that ran in 2018 had a, a solid foundation to start from and springboard off of. He did better, I think, than any other candidate in history in that district. He's running again this time. His name is Tom Palzowitz, phenomenal man, uh, just a really good human being. I, I'm doing everything I can to help him win. Uh, and then from the, the campaign, I was asked to, to join uh, the board of Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin, both the C3 and C4 side. Uh, so I, I like, hey, you know what? At least I can fail forward in this regard. I, uh, so I lost in November of 16 and then in February of, of, uh, of 18, or I'm sorry, February 17, uh, Jason Ray, who was the, uh, uh, I think Wisconsin's longest serving DNC representative, ran for the DNC secretary uh, position and he won. And as a result of that, he vacated his DNC seat. So then there was a special election and um, I was able to talk to um, a man by the name of Jamie Harrison, who was running for uh, US Senate down in uh, South Carolina against uh, Lindsey Graham. Uh, so if you got a chance to help that man with some money, give, give Jamie some money. But uh, Jamie got on the phone with me and I was, I was rather angry at the time because I didn't get you know, the, the kind of publicity and uh, there was no real momentum behind my race because it was all focused on the Senate race with Russ Feingold uh, and then the presidential race with Hillary Clinton. The dynamics then were different than they are now. Um, and I just felt like, you know, kind of disenchanted. And I, and I was, was pulling back from my involvement with the party and politics. And it was Jamie Harrison who reminded me of the, the role that I have to play. 
um, and that I really should fail forward and then run for this seat in the DNC and get involved. If I'm not at the table, how can my issues be heard, right? So I, if I wanna make change, I gotta be a part of the process. And I was fortunate enough to win that special election 17 and have been involved in the, in the, the body politic ever since. And it's not always pleasant. I get yelled at a lot, people swear at me a lot. Uh, people assume I have a level of power that I don't. I appreciate that, it's, you know, it's flattering. Um, but they're passionate and it shows that they care, right? They care about our party, they care about our state, our country, our, our, their, their fellow citizens, and they wanna make a difference. So I take that all in stride and, and do everything I can to, uh, to, make, to do my part, to, to make this country into a more perfect union as it should be. Very, very eloquently said. I like the way you ended that. Um, yeah, uh, well, that's all, that sounds all very, very exciting and um, inspiring. For one, um, on a personal note, I, um, I appreciate what you do as a gun violence survivor. Um, I have a cousin who was murdered <laughs> by gun violence. Uh, yeah, that's a yeah yeah so i having experienced personal familial loss to gun violence it's something that is heartbreaking and um yeah and sometimes like it it um it can be frustrating because you don't always know what the answer is so mm -hmm. that being said i want to hear a little bit about like what like you you talked about it a little bit but what um the organization of every town for gun safety, like what it pushes to do um, on a local level. Sure. So what, what every town is, and it started back in 2006 uh, and it was, it's originally called Mayors Against Illegal Guns um, and was formed uh, through a, an, about a thousand mayors across the country. One of the founding members was our mayor here in Milwaukee, Tom Barrett. Uh, the, the person who started it um, was a, uh, uh, Mayor Michael Bloomberg out of New York, and then Mayor Menino out of Boston. The two of them got this idea to, to fight against gun violence. And they formed this coalition with, with a thousand mayors across the country. But at the time, they're really focusing on like mayoral level types of policy and politics. So it wasn't like it is now. It wasn't until a woman by the name of Shannon Watts uh, founded an organization called um, Million Moms for Gun Control. A mouthful, mm -hmm. right? and uh, and that was formed after Sandy Hook, and she realized that there wasn't an organization like Mothers Against Drunk Driving in, in the gun violence prevention space. So she she formed this organization, and then the two organizations merged, and then they both changed names. So Mayors Against Illegal Guns turned into Every Town for Gun Safety. Um, um, One Million Moms for Gun Control turned into Moms demand action for gun sense in America. Uh, and so what they focus on is so like every town is like the umbrella organization. Moms demand is the, the, the boots on the ground where you have all the volunteers, uh, the lawyers and all that, the lobbyists are on the every town side and the rest of us uh, on, the, on the moms demand side are the regular volunteers uh, who are like in state houses and in the houses of Congress, right? We're everywhere. Uh, and it started out relatively small uh, and it has ballooned into over 5 million members in every state. Uh, so we have a chapter in every state. And so what we try to do is impact laws both at the state and federal level. So each state obviously is, is gonna have their own uh, gun policy. So the policy that exists here in Wisconsin may not be the same thing that happens in California. 
So there's a different approach, but each state is gonna focus on what they can do within the context of their state. Uh, and so what they, what they help us to do, they, we are able to get the kind of training about the law relative to your state or unless you're you know, looking at the federal level. But we learned about the law and then we learned the language about the policy. So one thing, you know, we learned the power of, of words and that they have value. So we don't use things like gun control. That's the old name. We understand that the, the phrase gun control elicits a kind of response to folks that might cause them to retreat to their corner. So you can't have the kind of conversation that we need to have. We, we talk to uh, whether you're a gun violence survivor, Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, doesn't matter. A bullet doesn't care about your political persuasion, right? The bullet that exploded my mom's head didn't stop to ask her, are you Republican or Democrat? The bullets that exploded the bodies of 20 innocent first graders at Sandy Hook didn't stop and say, hey, are you and your parents Democrats or Republicans? It doesn't work like that. Republicans die from gun violence just like Democrats do. So we've been trained to have this conversation that some might consider to be controversial, but it's not. And it's a shame that we've allowed it to become, or at least deemed to be controversial, because it really isn't. It's about saving lives and making our communities as safe as possible. So we train folks on how to talk about an issue that some people might think is controversial, but do it in a way that's non-confrontational and do it in a way that is rather apolitical. You don't have to be a Democrat to care about gun violence prevention. You just have to be a, a person who is of some sense and wanna make sure that people don't ever have to live through my nightmare or Maria's, uh, Maria Hamilton's nightmare, whose son, Dontre Hamilton was shot and killed a few hundred feet from where I'm recording this, this uh, conversation with you right now in Red Arrow Park in downtown Milwaukee. Too many people are, are dying needlessly. There's 100 gun deaths a day. So it is our job to reach as many folks as we can, inspire and empower them, and give them the tools that they need to go have these, these very important uh, uh, conversations so that we can either change the law or change the people that make them. So we've been very successful in, in not only changing law, but beating back the NRA. And you can see the trouble that those folks are having right now. I mean, the death merchants are finally losing, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's becoming incredibly clear that they took, they, they took donors' money and used it for their own enrichment. They don't actually care about the Second Amendment. They don't. They're using it as, as a marketing tool yeah. to sell fear so that you think you need to go buy more guns. The more guns that get purchased, the more money the NRA gets from gun manufacturers. They don't actually represent the people who, who think they're buying membership. They represent gun manufacturers in the gun industry, not the people who are actually going to buy guns, but the more they can sell this, this idea that, you know, uh, the only way you can uh, stop a bad guy with a gun is having a good guy with a gun. All that is is a marketing ploy. They want to sell two guns in that, that scenario. That's it. Um, so every town for gun safety uh, and Moms Demand Action has done a very good job of, of really helping to get in this space of gun violence prevention where folks have been doing work for years. And you know, we were able to, to tap into that and help those organizations like WAVE, for example. WAVE has been around for over 20 years. That's Wisconsin, the Wisconsin anti-violence effort. And I'm you know, a proud board member of that. I'm the C4 board president uh, with them. Um, and they, they, they've been doing phenomenal work at the state level and, and, and Moms Demand in every town are a good complement to what they do. Uh, but it's our job to do everything we can to be uh, the voice of those who have, whose lives have been stolen, like my mom, uh, and then help to make sure that fewer people ever have to know what this is actually like. Thank you for sharing all that. Um, mm -hmm. 
yeah, uh, you know, um, it's like these these um, tools that should be used for self defense should never be used to market a us versus them ideology, which is exactly like you said is why the NRA is I believe it's being dissolved. Is that what's going on right now? That's what uh, the uh, uh, state of New York is trying to do right now, based on uh, their the way that they're using their money. They're clearly not a a, a nonprofit, and the, by the some of the governing rules of of being a nonprofit, they aren't they have not been following, and they have lied about their finances and the use of some of that money. They really did lie to their 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 membership, right? They're making people believe they're doing all these things, but. Wayne LaPierre is just getting rich and, and buying mansions and, and, and traveling on their dime. That's wrong. Yeah. Not only are they death merchants, but then they're thieves at the same time, right? So I hope they get dissolved, right? And I hope those folks get their money back. Yeah. The other thing that's important to note, though, one thing that we do as an organization with Every Town and Moms Demand, we don't vilify gun owners, right? Mm-hmm. But you'll see what the NRA does. They vilify everybody else that doesn't subscribe to what they believe in. We don't do that. Again, we have Republicans that are members. We have Democrats everywhere in between. We also have gun owners uh, because we believe in, in safe gun ownership. And part of that yeah. includes making sure you pass a background check before you get to buy that gun. Mm-hmm. And in order to have those conversations and, and to get into that space, we also need gun, uh, gun owners who, are, who have some sense to them, who, who understand, you know, we shouldn't have guns in the hands of just anybody. We want to make sure that you can pass a background check, that you're not a violent felon, that you're not a danger to yourself, that you are not a, 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 a domestic abuser. We wanna make sure those things aren't a part of who you are. And if you are, you shouldn't have a gun. If you're not, you shouldn't have an issue. But gun owners help us also relay that message. And so I'm, I'm glad that we are doing the work that we're doing because if we don't, we're gonna have more and more gun death. And I, I don't wanna see that happen. It is an- it's an intense, it's a gross mischaracterization when, uh, you know, the right accuses the left of trying to steal their guns away. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an illogical, irrational mischaracterization. So I'm, I'm happy you made a point about that because a lot of us, like, on the left do support gun ownership, but mm-hmm. also support just safe and responsible and uh, also yeah, like um, proper usage of, of such firearms. And that, that, that is something that um, many folks feel safe with. So. Right. so if you think about it this way, so Wisconsin's got a rich tradition, um, a longstanding tradition of hunting, right? There's, you know, parents go out with their, their, uh, their children, their family, and they go hunting, right? That's, a, that's something that's almost ingrained into being a Wisconsinite. There are people yeah. who flock from out of state to come hunting, hunting here because of our amazing forestry, right? And that's a, that's a good thing. But when you go to get a hunting license, you have to go through quite a bit of training to do so, right? But if you want to go buy a gun at some gun shop right now, you can go get the gun the same day and, and not have to worry about some of the things that you should be having to go through. 20% of the guns that are sold here in Wisconsin are done so without a background check. I think that's wrong. There was a shooting in 2012 in Waukesha <clears throat> where a domestic abuser was able to go on a website, meet a guy in a parking lot, not have a background check completed because he knew he was a prohibited purchaser, buys the gun, no background check the next day. 
shoots and kills his estranged wife and two of her coworkers. Had we had universal background checks, he would not have been able to have bought that gun and Zena Daniel could still be alive today. But because we have these loopholes in our laws, she's not here. And I think that's wrong. But at the same time though, I mean, I had a, uh, a, a concealed carry permit. I don't own a gun, but I had a permit. I believe in, in, in gun ownership. I don't wanna get rid of the second amendment. I'm not like that, right? I believe in, in safe and responsible ownership of guns. But that's, that's the same kind of, of sentiment we apply to just about everything else. Yeah. We have limitations in the First Amendment, right? You, there, we have libel law, right, for a reason. No, no right is, is unlimited. Even when, you know, you had conservative Justice Scalia, he even said that the Second Amendment is not without reason and not without limit. But we have some folks in this country and some folks who were in, you know, governmental uh, uh, positions of power, right, who simply think uh, anybody can have a gun. And it, that, is, that is just nonsense. We should not be selling that kind of idea. In order to make our cities and our states safe, we need to make sure we, we have a, a, a handle on uh, those who have easy access to guns. And we shouldn't allow guns in the hands of domestic abusers, those who are a danger to themselves, like my mom was, or someone who was a, a, a violent felon. If you think about uh, here in Milwaukee, right, we talked, you hear a lot about uh, the gun death we have here. And we have too much. There's, to, uh, to this date, I think there's about, a uh, hundred gun deaths up to this point, 70% of which are men of color like myself. And the majority of those are under the age of 49. That is heartbreaking. But statewide, the majority of gun deaths are gun suicides. And that's something we rarely talk about. Every 24 minutes, someone shoots and kills themselves just like my mom did. That's, and that's across the country, but we don't talk about that. 70% of all the gun deaths in Wisconsin are gun suicides just like my mom. Nine out of 10 gun deaths happen with a handgun, but they're easy to get. There, there's something wrong in, in this, especially in the state of Wisconsin, that it's easier to go, because you can go get a gun right now, right? We don't have a 48 hour waiting period anymore like we did for 40 years in this state. You can get the, the gun the same day you pass a background check. So it's easier here in Wisconsin to go buy a gun than it is to get your first mental health care appointment. Think about that, yeah. right? Think about how long it's going to take you to get in there and to see that therapist. You were in the throes of crisis, but Pumps. I can buy a gun. That is, that, is, that, is, that is inhumane to me. Months. It takes months to get into a city. Right. And then it's going to cost you a fortune to do it. It's inhumane. That's right. I agree. Yeah. That, yeah it's, it's reprehensible. Right. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, so Korea, I, I so um, I guess I want to hear like kind of bringing um, some of your work. Uh, you know, it's kind of like how uh, reflecting on the last couple of years. I guess like how would you describe like you know just when your your reactions to when uh, forty five was elected and how you felt you know the conversation needed to change. Right. So uh, I was on that ballot. <laughs> Uh, you know, I was seeing the results uh, for the presidential campaign uh, same time I'm seeing the results of mine. Um, I lost by like 40 points. It, was, it wasn't pleasant for me. So seeing Trump win 
was even worse. So I was already feeling bad that I lost and then Trump won. It's like, oh my goodness, where are we going now? Uh, but one of the things that I would try to get people to understand is that we already know how bad that man is. So instead of like just focusing on how bad he is, let's celebrate how much better we are, how much better our policies are. It might be fun and easy uh, when, when Trump says something stupid, right? Uh, when, when he messes up a word or um, he, he says it's, you know, you should inject disinfectant into your body to deal with the pandemic. He's, People meme things. him and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, he, he is a master at distraction. And that's what I'm trying to get people to, to at least be cognizant of. I think he, he is a, uh, a very stupid man in many respects, but he's also pretty smart in other respects. But at the same time, I think he's heartless. I think he, I think as a quality of a man, I think he is the, probably one of the worst people you can imagine. But we don't need to harp on that. We need to talk about, like in 2018, I kept asking people, Let's not talk about how bad Scott Walker was or how bad Donald Trump was. Let's talk about why Tony Ebers is simply better. Let's talk about and celebrate how amazing Mandela Barnes is. Let's talk about why we need to reelect Tammy Baldwin and all these people up and down the ballot. Let's celebrate how much better we are. Because I just, I think that changes the, the, just the, the dynamic, not only within the context of the conversation, I think it helps people feel better knowing that there are, there are better quality uh, uh, selections available for you, that we are not just predetermined to have Trump and his cronies and that crime syndicate forever. We can do better, and we can feel good about that. We can feel good that we have a, a science teacher as our governor, right? Because we respect science and we respect public education. That's a good right. thing. It's a good thing that we have the, you know, a, a black man as our uh, lieutenant governor. We should celebrate that who's got an amazing name, who was a phenomenal speaker, who can inspire all kinds of folks of color to want to go do something. Let's talk about that. We know Scott Walker's bad. So let's not talk about that. Let's not ignore it or, or, or pretend that it doesn't exist. But I would like to be champions for our candidates rather than the ones that are just talking bad about the people we don't like. That's something that I learned uh, when I ran for Congress in 2016. Cory Booker was the first uh, uh, like national person to endorse my campaign, came to Wisconsin to help me. And one of the things that he taught me was, you know, be a champion for your issue. Don't just be the, the opponent of the person running against you. You don't even need to talk about them. Talk about what you want to be the champion for. You don't need to tear down your opponent to win. You want to inspire folks and uplift folks and give them some hope. You know, there, there are people who are just down on their luck looking for something to feel good about. Not saying I'm going to be the be-all, end-all here. I'm surely not as amazing as Barack Obama is, but I don't also want to be the reason someone else feels bad too, right? I want to help make them feel better, or at least let them see that there is a way forward. So like when I talk about gun violence, I do talk about how my mom shot and killed herself. I also talk about my three attempts with, with suicide, and I'm glad I didn't complete them. And I'm very open and vocal about that because there are folks who can't. There are folks who don't know how to. When I go in front of a room of folks and I tell people this has happened to me, that I have been in a mental institution for a weekend because I attempted suicide. I have been in a padded room. That's not fun. You know, some people might get embarrassed about that, but that is the exact reason why I have to say it because they might be embarrassed. There's like the stigma that's attached to mental health, especially those who have struggled with uh, suicidality. 
there has to be folks out there willing to, to just throw that aside and say, you know what, that is not the end of your sentence. That's exactly why I have a semicolon right here in the center of my chest. I have survived it. Exactly. Thank you. I survive it and I survive it every single day and I'm proud to have survived it. When I go in front of folks and I tell people that, I guarantee you every time when I'm done, there's at least one person that comes up to me and says, thank you. I have attempted suicide before or I considered it. And after hearing your story, <clears throat> I'm glad I didn't because I don't want to do to my kids what your mom did to you. Like that, that's all I need. But we, if we only talk about the bad stuff and not the things that we've conquered or achieved or, or can't achieve or what we're fighting for, so many folks are going to be just like disincentivizing and be apathetic. I don't, want that, I, don't, I don't want to be a part of that system. I want to be a part of something that makes people feel better, makes people want to be involved and engaged in doing something. We can't make this country work for everybody unless we're fighting for the better part of it not the part where we tear each other down. And that's really, honestly, to kind of bring this full circle where we started, that goes back to me not wanting to be a critic. I want to be something good, right? So be a part of something positive. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's so much more empowering and also, <clears throat> um, and also a, a way to rally others when you do um, focus on the uplifting, the yeah, when you do focus on the positives and, and what is in our control versus what's not in our control. And, uh, and I appreciate you, you know, being so open about uh, mental health because I also am, uh, I've struggled with uh, mental health issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, which I'm still unpacking to this day, you know, um, you know, it takes a long time, but that work is that, that conversation of destigmatization, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's so easily, um, it's very easily simplified, mm -hmm. but mental health is so full of nuance right. and it, the conversation will like the, the journey will not be the same for everybody, mm -hmm. but what, is such a universal thing about it is when one person talks about it, another person feels less alone. Absolutely. I, one thing that I do a lot with though, is I, um, I do talk a lot about mental health in general, but I, I do always make the request that we as men uh, take more ownership of our mental yeah. health and yeah. value that mental health, but not be ashamed that we might struggle with it, especially black men. We, we typically don't admit that we need help until it's too late. We might not admit it all, and then something bad happens. We need to stop that, right? We, we need to tear down whatever structure exists that, that gets people to think that you are less than, that you are not valued because you struggle mentally. It is, sim it is okay not to be okay. What is not okay is, is for you to feel that you don't count, that you don't matter. I wish someone told my mom that my world would be better off with her in it. Instead of her feeling like she's, she's, she's a detriment to me. I wish someone told her that. So it's my job now to remind people, you do count. And I know it. there are going to be days that suck. I, I, can, I can assure you, I've gone through them. They are terrible. And I might be thinking about something that I, I don't want to keep going. But I also know that the more I can fight through those dark waves, the easier it is to fight through those dark waves. It's like lifting weights, right? The more you do it, 
the better at it you're going to get. So I can't quit. I also can't uh, keep that cycle going either. I have to break that cycle. So my children have the, you know, has a parent around, right? I don't know what it's like to have my own mother tell me that she loves me. I don't know what her voice sounds like. I was only 20 months old when she shot herself. I don't want another child to have to grow up with that kind of pain because it, it's unfair. And the, it's going to be um, 42 years on September 8th that my mom shot and killed herself. I hate that day, right? I wish I could take that day off the calendar, but I have to, I have to walk straight forward into it. Mother's Day, I hate it because it hurts because I can't celebrate it with my mom, but I have to keep pushing forward and too many people get, get like swept up in that wave and don't have a, a, either the, the, the tools, the mechanisms to deal with it or a way to ask for help or a way to talk about it. So if I have to bear my soul in front of folks and be vulnerable, I mean, when I ran for Congress, someone wrote, uh, this, this right-wing blogger wrote a very nasty article about me because of my struggles with mental health. Essentially saying that the voters shouldn't have someone who, who has been suicidal. I can't think of a better person to have as a representative because the majority of people have struggled with that. Why not be honest with people and, and let them see that, you know what, even if you've attempted or thought about it or had someone in your family that did it, you still can go on and not only run for Congress, you can get elected to it. You can run for whatever you want. It's not the end of your sentence. It's everywhere. It's amongst all of us at all levels of society. Absolutely. Some of those in the highest profiles of life and biggest mental health struggles. Right. And Henry Bourdain just uh, last year, right? Exactly. Exactly. Robin Williams. Robin Williams, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mr. Bennington, the, the lead singer of Lincoln Park, you know, yeah. that broke my heart. Chris Cornell, Chris uh, Cornell. right? I mean, and it's not like just because those are high profile people, I know their name. There are plenty of other folks. Uh, you know, there, there's a, I have a friend that lives in, in Pennsylvania. Her husband, Scott, uh, shot and killed himself, right? And it, it's heartbreaking when these things happen. But the more we talk about it, the more we use our pain for positive change, at least we can make folks aware, right? At least we can say, if you have someone in your house uh, who was struggling uh, with mental health, make sure they don't have easy access to a gun. Think about it this way. If you have someone who's a recovering substance abuser, are you going to leave open intoxicants around them? Of course not, because that would be mean and stupid. So why would and we enabling, have, yeah. Why would we not have those same conversations and same habits with firearms? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, totally. So, so, um, so this year has obviously been, it's thrown us curveball after curveball. You know, when we, we entered, when we anticipated 2020, you know, the DNC was amongst the biggest, um, just points of excitement for many, um, culturally, politically, you know, socially, um, it was obviously there was just so much that we did not see coming. Yeah. And with that, I want to ask, you know, you being one of the um, uh, uh, representatives for it, um, like what, like what were you personally anticipating with the DNC coming to Milwaukee? And uh, given everything that changed and where we're at now, how it has looked, how it looks much different than originally intended, 
yeah, I just want to hear like how we, like what emotions you were feeling before all this happened and what the emotions you're feeling about it now. Right. So uh, for, for quite a while before it was announced that we won the bid uh, to, to bring the convention here to Milwaukee, uh, I, I had been all over the country um, telling folks how great our city is. It's a, it's a big little city. Um, and there are many folks who felt like we lost the Midwest uh, in 2016. And my essential argument was, if you feel that way, and I don't disagree, we lost, he didn't win it. Um, and since we agree on that for the most part, what better way to, to win the Midwest back than by bringing the convention here? It's the best idea we can do. And there, you know, there were some folks who would say, well, we should have it in Miami because it's, it's beautiful beaches and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know what, I, I, I get that. And I would love to go on vacation to Miami too. But at the same time, th this convention isn't just a party we got business to do, we got some real work to do. Um, and then when you put it in that kind of context, people started to come around. So we were like on cloud nine when we got uh, the, the, the award for the convention. And up until just a few months ago, we still thought we could pull this off. But again, uh, our party listens to science. And we realized that we were not able to, to do this in, in a safe way uh, where we could keep, you know, keep 50,000 people uh, you know, in, in a safe environment where we wouldn't cause a, a spread of the virus. Um, and so we had to, uh, to adjust, right? We had to, you know, remain fluid and just adjust to the, the conditions in front of us. But what we're doing as a, as a national party is emblematic of what is happening to local candidates, right? Folks can't go out and canvas the same way they used to. Those in-person touches aren't the same. So we had to get inventive, right? We, more people are texting or uh, phone banking or using social media and emails. Everybody gets a whole bunch of emails now. Um, but it's, it's, the, it's the way we have to operate. So uh, either we complain about where we are or we get to work. I would rather get to work. I don't want to complain about it. Is it fun? No. I like talking to people. As you can tell, I like talking, right? Mm. I like being in front of folks and, and giving those rally style speeches. I, I, I love those things. I love house parties. I love seeing like the new folks who come into the fold and who want to be engaged, whether they're young folks or the, or older folks who may be retired and want to have something to do. I miss that kind of camaraderie, but I also know what's at stake here. Right. I, I did the, the interview I did before uh, I came on your show. Um, the, the, the journalist asked me about the level of excitement because now we're doing everything virtually. I said, look, gun violence survivors like me don't need to be entertained right? Folks who need access to healthcare aren't looking to be entertained. We want to get to work, right? I don't need the sideshow in, in the rah-rah. I can't wait to go vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris because I know they're going to do the right thing. May not get everything that we want, but we'll, we'll be that much closer to getting more of what we want, especially compared to what the other side is going to continue to do if they get four more years. So while I would have loved to have 50,000 people come here and visit our amazing city and, and, and just, just see how great this place is. We still got a job to do. And in, in a couple of months, uh, we can either elect um, Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris, or we can just keep going further down this rabbit hole. And I'm, I'm choosing to not do that. I'm going to do everything I can uh, to get uh, Joe and Kamala elected and get Democrats up and down the ballot elected, whether I'm calling them or texting them or tweeting or Facebook or whatever the case may be, whatever, whatever tool I got to use to do that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. 
so that that all said so like what does the dnc's virtual programming look like uh exactly like what exactly <laughs> how exactly is it being um executed now so there are, are live streams throughout the day for the various there there's caucus events there's uh, special interest types of whether it's climate change. Um, there, the Black Caucus has had a number of events. We had a huge event last night uh, to celebrate uh, the Reverend Jesse Jackson. Um, there's uh, events. Uh, the, the main speaking events are starting tonight, uh, but it, it's going on all throughout the day. Uh, so you can you can go to the uh, wisdoms.org and, and watch everything live. Uh, but it's it's going on all day um, and. We're making sure that folks are uh, being alerted to what's going to happen when folks are speaking, what to look forward to, things like that. But <clears throat> while it may be virtual, we still, we still have work to do. And, and the business is still going to happen. I've already cast my ballot. I did that a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Um, so, you know, we're going to do the, the people's work and, and really uh, uh, looking forward to nominating uh, Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris in a couple of days. And uh getting ready to uh, elect them as our next president and vice president so i guess that'll be my last question is how how do you hope to increase voter turnout here in milwaukee you know that's a, that's a huge thing and i at the, the the state election in april i was or i was lucky i was able to vote uh through mail but many folks that I know didn't get their ballots uh, and weren't able to actually vote in the election. They were concerned about uh, coronavirus and the 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 horrible, the the reprehensible um, day of five out of 180 polling places that, that yeah. day. Um, you know that that was a very um, disheartening day for our, our local community uh, when it comes to political engagement. So. How do you hope to increase, like, to let voters know, you know, that to encourage voters that their voice matters for, mm -hmm. you know, even if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris aren't their number one choice or they might be disillusioned right now, mm -hmm. like, how do you hope to, you know, uh, breathe, help breathe some fresh air into, young, into these voters? Right. So I, I can't say, you know, uh, in, in April, uh, in our primary here, that was the first time I voted by mail. You know, I, I enjoy the pageantry of actually going to the polls and voting. I tell myself, uh, I, I'm usually the first person in line at seven o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I tell myself that it's my vote that's gonna make the decision. Uh, obviously that's not true, but it feels good and it's fun. I just like being immersed in that process. Yeah. Um, so I did vote by mail uh, in, in April. And what I found to be very heartening, not discounting uh, the, re the reduction in polling locations here in Milwaukee, uh, but you know, we were able to elect Jill Karofsky when to the, to the state Supreme Court where people were expecting uh, Daniel Kelly to win by 10 points and it was the other way. And a lot of that is a result of the work that our state party and, our, and, and the DNC had done with this massive uh, voter outreach and reminding people to vote early. So we had a huge increase in people voting by mail in that spring election. And I think that's going to translate into what's going to happen um, uh, in, in this coming November. Uh, so both the state and national party are really pushing folks 
to, to be aware of when the dates are, when you need to register uh, um, on, on my vote, uh, dot Wisconsin, uh, my vote, Wisconsin.org or .gov, I'm sorry, uh, so that you can get your, 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 uh, your absentee ballot and how to fill it out and all those kinds of things. Um, so it's our job to just simply remind folks of when those important dates are. And some folks do ask me or they'll tell me, you know, Joe Biden wasn't my first choice or I don't like Joe Biden and I'm voting just against Trump. And I'll remind them, Joe Biden wasn't my first choice either. Cory Booker was, right? And it's, it doesn't matter, to me at least, what your motivation for voting is. I don't care if you're voting for Joe or voting against Trump. doesn't matter because that's not what gets counted. Your vote does. There's no asterisk next to your vote. There's no uh, vote uh, uh, synopsis or voting statement. They just count whatever mark you put on there. That's what matters. So whatever you got to do to get there, do it. Just show up and vote for them. You can argue and yell at me if you want to about your why and about how you might think this or that. That's fine. We can have that conversation later. We got to get this man out of office. He just simply is wrong for our country. He has never been presidential. Joe Biden knows what it's like to be presidential. He knows what it's like to be in, in, in that, that seat of power, be a decent man doing so. Having been <clears throat> Barack Obama's vice president for eight years, you learn something. You learn something about civility and decency. I can't wait to have a president who doesn't insult people yeah, like, yeah. in high school. I mean, so if you're looking for motivation, here's one for you. I want to have a president who doesn't demean other people. I want to have a president who doesn't think uh, that it's okay to make jokes about handicap or handicapable people. I think that's wrong. I want to make sure we have a president who doesn't think it's okay to have kids in cages. I want to have a president who doesn't equivocate on white supremacy and who's not going to have white supremacists in the White House. I'm inspired by that. If you want to look for excitement, I'm excited by that. I want to make sure I have a president who is going to fill Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's uh, seat in the Supreme Court with someone who's not Neil Gorsuch or, or the other guy, uh, uh, Beer Me Kavanaugh. I'm, I don't want that anymore. That's what I'm excited about. Maybe he doesn't say the things you like to hear, but when you put things in context, the things he's able to do, that's enough for me. Too many people fought, bled, and died for my right to vote. For me to take this like a luxury, I have to vote. This, a, this is a moral imperative. I can't wait to go vote. We can't look at this as a, some form of entertainment. And like, you just have to, you just need to be inspired by something. You have to vote. Dr. King inspired me and didn't know me. That's enough for me. Um, that's, that's quite a, uh, that, that is uh, quite a bold, like it's, it's bold to hear that like in words, like, <laughs> He, he inspired me. He didn't even know me. Like, and that accounts for, you know, anyone that you are like revolutionaries or politicians or even just, you know, people that you, you look up to in your field of work that may have been very inspirational. Like that apply that. <laughs> That applies to everything. That would inspire everybody. <laughs> so, um, well, the thing is, you know, think yeah. about this. So, so I, I did a, an interview last week, uh, right after uh, uh, Joe selected Kamala as his running mate, and the host said that he thought that Kamala was the safe pick. And I said, think about what you just said. The black woman is the safe pick. 
that just shows not only are we, you know, creating more cracks in that everlasting glass ceiling, we're, we're about to kick that one completely through, but it shows young girls of color, like my two daughters, that they too can one day be the safe pick, right? Mm-hmm. Our party who's, who's changing these gender dynamics where women can be at least seen and be present in these, these seats of power, we need more of that. And I'm glad he did that. That is inspirational to me. And I want more of it, which is exactly why I can't, I can't wait to go vote. I get that other people's voter motivation are going to be different than mine. I can completely appreciate that. And that's okay, right? You don't have to have the same reasoning, the same why that I do. And it doesn't matter to me. Because at the end of the day, there's only one thing that's going to count, the vote. And there are going to be too many people who are disenfranchised from being able to do that. And they do that because our vote actually matters. If our vote didn't matter, they wouldn't work so hard to take it from us. Yeah. So when folks need to be reminded about why we need to do this and you want some inspiration, think about that, that young brother down the street who can't vote because Scott Walker put in voter, uh, racist voter ID policy or some other place where they, have, uh, they prevent felons from voting. You served yeah. your time, now you want to be reintegrated back in society and you're telling me I can't vote? Come on now. We need to go do these things, elect people who are going to make a difference and fight for us and and bring about the change we desperately need. We need gun reform. That's on the ballot. We need health care reform. That's on the ballot. We we need to change these these systems of of racism that are just rooted in racism. That is on the ballot. You want some inspiration? There you go. Yep. That's, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, like... We have to think that, like, literally, like, there's people out here, and this is large. This has been, I mean, definitely this year with uh, the pandemic and 45's administration and their handling of it, mm-hmm. um, as well as their, um, as well as their antagonization of those doing peaceful protests across our country. Mm-hmm. Um, while refusing to disavow actual hate groups, right. you know, there are people at such a large, on such a large scale that feel society has, has or is failing them right now. And they aren't wrong. Yeah. And, so, and those folks exist both in Republican and Democratic uh, uh, strongholds, right? You, you have folks who, who voted for Trump against their own interest. Maybe it's because of racism, but at some point you got to look and say, this guy really doesn't care about you. You are the people he wouldn't let in his, his golf club, right? You can't afford those kinds of things. He doesn't care about you. He's just telling you the things he thinks you want to hear. That's marketing. That's it. That's not leadership. There are Republicans dying from gun violence, from this pandemic, who, families who need help. Think about this. We had the, 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 the Paycheck Protection Program where businesses were able to get a, uh, um, a fund, uh, a loan that you don't have to repay, right? As long as you have people like, you know, bring back a certain amount of people and those kinds of things. But when people actually need that, that extra supplement because they're unemployed, and especially for no, no fault of their own, now they're talking about you got to pay that back. That's backwards, right? If you want to jumpstart the economy and make sure folks aren't going to fall by the wayside, make sure they have money in their pockets because it's not just them. 
It's the, it's the landlord that they're paying. It's the grocery store down the street. It's the, the power company. It's the cell phone provider. It's the cable company. It, it's everything. It's, it's McDonald's or, or some restaurant down the street where you still got another person that's working there trying to make ends meet. That we have a cyclical economy here where if, if we have a group of folks without enough money in their pocket to buy stuff, they are going to be impacted too, and it's just going to snowball. We don't want another housing crisis where people aren't able to afford their rent or their mortgage. We got to avoid that. And the way they do it is by helping make sure that they have money in their pocket. Nobody wants to just sit home and do nothing. We all want to be able to go work. I don't want people to go to work in an environment that's unsafe for them. I don't want people to feel like, well, I can't afford not to go to work, so I'm going to go to work sick. We can't have those kinds of things. We unfortunately have some very stupid people who control the levels of power in our country, and we need to vote every single one of them out. Yes, we do. Yeah. And side note, so is, is that kind of, I think you'd have more information about this than I would, but um, so is, is that sort of why, uh, like, <clears throat> could you describe like the rationale why you think Trump is, uh, is uh, demolishing the USPS right now? <laughs> I don't quite understand exactly. Like, is he worried about, like, I know he's worried about the voting through mail. Like, yeah, I get, I get how, what do you have to say about that? It, that that's really, what, that's all it is, right? So uh, he is worried that uh, more people are going to be able to cast their vote uh, by mail. And to suppress that, uh, he wants to limit the, uh, the effectiveness of the postal system, right? So, um, he, as a person who votes by mail, wants fewer people to vote by mail. Think about that, right? Um, and he is doing the things out front that you would expect like a mobster to do like quietly. I talked to someone the other day and I equated him to uh, the Dapper Don, what was John Gotti, you know, except thankfully Trump's not out shooting people, thank God. But you know, he always, he did say that if he shot someone on Fifth Avenue, he wouldn't lose any support. He said that five years ago. Think about right. that, right. you know? And here he is acting like a mobster, right? Trying to rig elections for himself. And it's really unfortunate, too, because he doesn't actually want to be president. He just likes the idea of being president. Doesn't want to do the work. Um, but there, if you really consider the impact that this is having on the Postal Service, it's not just with mailing voting. There are people who get their medicine through the mail. Right, yeah. Right? There are people like you're, you're, the bills and, and, and you're making payments and all kinds of things that he is delaying. There are people who sell their goods and ship it, right? And it's hurting their business. He doesn't care. He just wants more power and is willing to cheat in the open to do it. One of the things that they said that, you know, that they're doing is they're getting rid of those, those uh, high-efficiency sorting machines as a way to be more efficient. Can you think of something dumber, right? You have a high efficiency machine that does what 35,000 pieces of mail an hour, and you're going to get rid of them to be more efficient. Come on. It's just, it's a lie. And, and, and they're, they're, they're doing it out front. Uh, but again, you need another piece of inspiration. There you go. It's just uh, the satire writes itself these days. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Karee, thank you so much for being on the show today to chat with me, to talk about, to, you know, really to, um, you know, uh, I, I consider myself, you know, 
rather a very political person. I'm sure many of my view my audience is, but I think that giving some real time context to the the severity and the implications of the times we're living in right now. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's been great to hear your story and uh, just hear uh, your work. So uh, the, the closing questions that I ask everybody on the way out, uh, create first tell me what keeps you up at night. Um, are people gonna be apathetic? Uh, because uh, Trump has a way of throwing so much in the mix that he can wear you out. And people might just simply think, I gotta quit. Uh, this is just too much, I'm gonna turn the TV off. Uh, I'm hoping people choose uh, to fight for a better way than giving up and not getting involved. Um, that, that and making sure that I'm doing everything I possibly can to make sure my children's future has been better than mine. What puts you to sleep? Um, usually it's a good movie. I know, I know that's a weird way of looking at it, but uh, I'm one of those people who does sleep with the TV on. Oh, I sure. rarely have news on when I go to bed because it can be kind of enraging. Um, I have, you know, I've seen the movie Titanic more than a hundred times. Um, so that's sometimes one of the, the, my favorites to go to sleep with. I might even watch John Wick as, as uh, action packed as it is. It's just, so good. I, I, I just love movies and it, I mean, it's just, it's relaxing. It's almost like it's a mental vacation, right? You get to escape into that two hour saga. Uh, and then, you know, sometimes you drift off, sometimes you just get engaged in it and, um, but it definitely is something that I like to, to spend my time relaxing. That's fantastic. I, I'm with you there. I like a good movie uh, at, at bedtime. Uh, lately, I felt like I've needed to laugh more. So I've been watching, I've been watching Arrested Development. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, or Up Shit's Creek. Uh, that's yeah. a good one. Um, there was another one. I, or Shameless. Yeah, Shameless. That's, a, that's another good one. Um, I, like, I'm one of those people who will legit binge watch a show from start to finish and i might have to like leave work early to go do it like i when i get in something i can't i can't stop it man like i i uh like parks and rec or the office i've binged the office three times i think you know uh, i'd love it every time can never get sick of that show oh yeah yeah uh, we need to laugh we need those shows to laugh these days because it, uh our our news feeds can be very very uh disturbing sometimes yeah, so, okay. so curry thank you so much again for being thank on the show yeah, yeah. anytime you you want, i'd be happy to come on awesome uh yeah so uh to everyone watching let's get out there and vote let's vote we- 45 out yes. and uh yeah let's keep building on a local national and international scale mm-hmm. to make everyone's lives better. So Absolutely. as you're watching Mr. Nice Guy, we'll see you next time.